everybody. Welcome to The Kelly O Show. I'm your host, Kelly Alexa. This show is dedicated to inspiring women of all ages to pursue excellence in mind, body, and business. After decades of playing small in my own life and staying in the comfort zone, a couple of years of massive chaos and drama in my personal and my professional life forever changed me for the better. Through some tough lessons, I evolved and I became a stronger and more confident version of myself, fearless and finally, unapologetically myself. I am now designing my life bigger and better than ever before. And most importantly, I'm designing a life on my terms that is full of joy and happiness. And I think that this is something that's been missing for so many women. They're either staying in the comfort zone like I was or they've got a life that looks pretty good on the outside, but it's missing real joy and health and happiness. And that is no bueno. I believe that the future is female. And every week this show is going to bring you incredible interviews and live shows that I hope is going to motivate you to take massive action in your life, to leave the comfort zone and go all in again, to pursue achieving excellence in mind, body, and in business. I hope you enjoy the show and let's dive in. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Kelly O show. I am so happy that I was able to get Sydney Williams on the show. And here's the funny story. I haven't hung out with Sydney. I met her, I'm pretty sure we met at South by uh, or actually no, we were actually talking about that in this show. We met because she was working at an agency in Chicago and they hired me to do some work. This was probably eight or nine years ago, maybe even a little bit more. Um, But then certainly we saw each other a lot down at South by in Austin. And yet it's been several years since she and I have crossed each other's paths. And I was on LinkedIn and I see this post that either it was her or Adam Keats, uh, the, the guy she used to work for at the agency, put this thing up and I just saw this hiking my feelings. Um, It was a book. And I'm like hiking because for those of you that have been listening to the show for a while, you know that even though it shocked me, I have come to really love hiking. And I've I've become much more of an outdoorsy person. Don't get me wrong. I'm never going to want to go camping. I don't have any desire to, you know, like my idea of roughing it is a hotel without room service. So I, I love hiking, but I'm not going to like go camping and stay in a tent. I've done that one time, breast cancer walk in Chicago, and it was not pleasant. I don't like outhouses. I don't like porta potties. I don't like things like that. It's just disgusting. High maintenance, I'm fine. But I do love hiking. My man and I love going hiking. Um, I, I love everything about it. I love being outdoors. Um, I've loved being outdoors, especially now that I live down in Texas um, and it's nice to go outside. Um, So it caught my eye. And then when I looked a little bit more into what this Hiking My Feelings book and organization was about, at first glance, I'm like, she's got to come on the show. And I also knew she's just this highly energetic, positive, vivacious young woman. And I, I told myself, don't even look at this. Don't read the book. Just get her on the show. Let her tell you everything. Because I, I wanted to hear it with you guys. And we recorded. I didn't even realize that we recorded as long as we did. We went for 90 minutes. That's how good this stuff is. And I can tell you this. It's worth the listen. It's worth a three-part listen because 
this young woman and what she's doing to help women of sexual victims of sexual assault build awareness around that um, and also get women and, and men as well um, to really get more in touch with their feelings, start leading a life of intention, doing you know what they want to do, leading a positive, impactful life. Um, damn, this woman's doing a lot for the universe. And I think that you will be just pulled in and impressed and wowed. And she's going to have you tilting your head going and starting to think about your life. I, I guarantee it. It's there's so many like provoking thought provoking mic drop moments in this interview. And I just know you'll love her. I know you'll want to buy the book. I know you're going to want to start hiking and exploring and seeing the world. And and when we reopen to whatever degree, going on some of these trips that she has, um, what an extraordinary individual. And, and I love what she's doing. So um, again, this is going to be a three-part interview, each one being around 30 minutes. I know you'll love her. I can't wait to read the book. Just ordered it myself. And um, you'll see my review on my blog at kellyalexa.com coming up here in the next month or so. And you certainly will see my adventures as me and my man start getting out hiking again um, very soon. We love it. So um, you guys sit back and enjoy. This is a three-part interview with Sydney Williams. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Kelly O Show. I am thrilled to have I hate saying the word old friend because that sounds like I'm calling you old and by no means are you old in age or old at heart. But Sydney, you and I have known each other for probably better part of 10 years. I think we were talking about before the show. Um, So it's so good to reconnect with you. Welcome. Are you ready to go? I'm ready. Let's do it. I am so, so we were talking about before the show, and this might be a, a good place to start because whenever I have a guest on the show for the first time, I always ask them to like, you know, give, give your background, whether it's like your fitness story or whatever. And we're going to dive into hiking my feelings, the book and the movement and everything that you're doing, which I can't wait to hear about it. And for everybody listening, I made sure that I told her before the show, I'm like, don't tell me anything. Let me hear about it all you know, when we're doing the show, because I reached out to her, I saw her post something on LinkedIn and I hadn't seen, I hadn't talked to Sydney in forever, but I saw this post come up on LinkedIn and I'm like hiking my feelings. Oh my God, this is so cool. And I took a glance at her website and what she was doing. And it's so funny because I am so people that know me from five, 10 years ago, would probably never, ever, ever, ever in a million years think I would be somebody that would love to go outdoors and hiking. And my man and I love it. Like I love going hiking. So I reach out to her. I'm like, I've got to hear about what you're doing. I love at first glance hearing, you know, seeing what it, what it's about and why you started doing this, why you wrote the book. I know everybody's going to love hearing about it, but tell people like, do you, you and I met via social media, right? And we met like 10 years ago. How, what were you doing back then? And then how did, how did that end up that, you know, here you are, somebody was working in the agency world and you and I met that way. And now you're doing this hiking my feelings thing, completely different journey. But how did you get from that place to where you are now? Yeah. So we met when I was moving from Tampa to Chicago for my first job. Um, I was lucky enough to score an internship with Weber Shanwick before I graduated. So I was on the Twitter uh, asking everybody, like, where should I live? Who's nice? Like, what do I do when I get to Chicago other than eat hot dogs? 
Um, <laughs> and, and don't get ketchup could, on them. Somehow, like, right, yeah, no, like, that was the first order of business. Um, but we got connected, like, the Chicago social media mafia was strong back in, like, 2008, <laughs> 2009. Um, and that's, that's how we connected. Like everybody was, I had like a welcome wagon by the time I got there, it was wild. So, um, how we got from agency life out here to the mountains in Southern California, uh, that's a great question. Um, shortly after I started, uh, working in Chicago, I was selected to speak at South by Southwest with a panel of my Gen Y peers about careers and transitioning out of college and into corporate. And, one of these guys who's like a big time marketer. I don't know if you've heard of him. His name's Peter Shankman. He's kind of a big deal. Yeah, I, um, I he was familiar. speaking as well. Yeah, like I think he kind of like made a big thing happen with reporters and like resources for sources. I don't know. It's, it's like <laughs> if only somebody could help a reporter out. Like I really feel like they need that. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> Peter was. <laughs> And he asked if I wanted to go skydiving because he's the licensed skydiver. And I, I was standing that. in line in the convention center. Yeah. And he was like, hey, I'm going to go jump out of some planes. Do you and your friends want to come? And I was like, I had previously done one skydive. So I already knew everything about it. Right. Like I was the newbie who was a professional. And I was like, oh, duh, yes, I'm so in. Um, so I went skydiving with Peter in Austin, Texas. This was in 2009, 2010. And I landed and I was like, oh my God, I have to do this. Like, it was the same feeling I had after my first jump. But when I did my first jump, I was still in college. My parents were like, that's cute. You're not going to go quit life to be a skydiver. You need to get your degree. Um, <laughs> so I got my degree in Chicago, spoke at South by, went skydiving, went back to Chicago. And I was like, I want to learn how to do this, like ASAP. So I was um, on, looking for a place where I could go jump around Chicago. And there's three or four different drop zones in the area in Chicagoland. And the first one I called, they were booked. Um, they didn't have any room for an appointment the day that I wanted to go. The next one I went to, they were open. And I was like, okay, sweet. And so I realized when I got to that skydiving center that I had jumped out of their plane in Texas. Like, because in the winter, they had leased it to the place where I jumped out of the plane with Peter. And I was like, okay, universe, dropping signs. What's going on? <laughs> um, so I did another tandem skydive. I loved it. And then I said, I want to go learn how to do this, like how Peter does it. Because the way he was doing it was like, he would take an extra day off on the front end or the back end of a business trip and go jump out of planes. And I was like, I'm traveling a lot for work. This is a great way to see the country, a great way, great way to jump in more places. So I went to go get my um, skydiving license. And the agency that I was working with had a program internally called No Boundaries, where you could write an essay. Um, say you talk about this skill you want to learn or this class you want to take or some kind of like continuing development for professionals. And if you get the award, then you get a, uh, like 2,500 bucks and a whole extra week of time off to go pursue this thing. And I got it. So I had applied and said, you know, I want to go jump out of airplanes. One of my account leads on um, one of the brands that I was working on had just been diagnosed with cancer. Um, there's this big, uh, humongous organization that was doing skydiving for breast cancer research, like to raise money for it. And I was like, I want to go learn how to skydive and then go be on one of these jumps and do it in my team leads honor. And they were like, done, here's a check, go take a week off. You can go do it. So I roll out to this drop zone in the middle of nowhere, Illinois, cow town, cornfields everywhere. 
and I walk up to the hangar and I met the man who was going to be my future husband. And then oh, I no learned how to skydive, blah, blah, blah. That brought us out to Southern California. Yeah. So like I drove home that night after meeting this dude and I was like, something feels different, man. Like, I don't know what's going on, but something feels different. And the something that was different, like I thought it was because I was going to go jump out of a plane by myself the next day. Um, but turns out I had just met the man of my, like, who I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. Like that was the shift. So um, we had traveled. Um, we, I had lived in Chicago. Then I moved down to Austin for a bit to skydive a little bit more, but that didn't happen because I was working so much. So I moved back to Chicago, worked at the skydiving center where I was training and then ended up moving out to Southern California to train out here. And then XYZ happens, life goes on. Now we're in California and uh, we're hiking and we're healing and we're doing all kinds of fun stuff. Oh my God. You make it sound, I mean, so it, it, it you're so laid back and you're so chill, <laughs> but yet so like, you're like cool hippie chick. I, I'm, I'm okay calling you that. Like, you're just so cool. Oh yeah, and that's you cool. talk about this, like <laughs> Thank it's you. the most, but you know, one of the things that I want to, so I want to rewind a little bit because I ha as somebody who has never how do you say past tense skydoven skydived is it skydived well, I've never someone skydived. who's never yeah someone who's never jumped out of a plane that's easier <laughs> yeah there's there's another word that I can never figure out the past tense of and I'm always whenever I say it I'm like how do, what's the past tense of this word but that would be one of them so before you ever did your first one because I know that anybody else like I've always wanted to do it but yet and I've talked with my man about it. He's like, I will, I'm just letting you know, I will never do that. And I want to do it. But then I saw one movie where I forget what it was. Somebody like dove out of a plane and it ruined their ears. And I'm like, so I'm using that as my crutch. Like, oh, well, I could lose my ears, my, my hearing. So I'm not going to skydive, but I really want to do it. My question to you is for all the people who are listening, who have never done it, when you, before you did it the first time, um, what was it, what was your first time like? Because did you get up there and did somebody have to push you out? Did you want to like, did you get that whole like last minute? I, there's no way I'm jumping out of this plane. Did it freak you out when you were up there? Was it scarier than you thought or more exciting than you thought? So when I first did it, I was working at Disney. And so I went to skydive space center in Titusville, which you're jumping over Kennedy space center and the city of Titusville and the ocean. So automatically I was in love. Like it was a whole new perspective on life. Like when you look out the plane window, you know, you look at the roads and it looks like spaghetti. You don't think about how high up you are. So there's really no, it's like, yeah, there's nothing natural about jumping out of an airplane. But as far as like a fear of heights goes, I have one, like you can't get me on a ladder without me freaking out, but I'll jump out of a plane almost 700 times. It doesn't make sense. But when you think about it, I'm not in any kind of proximity to anything that tells me how high I am. Like I can look at the ground and the ground looks like spaghetti. Like it's not scary the same way that riding in an airplane and looking down at the ground from an airplane isn't scary. Unless you hate flying, then it's absolutely horrifying. <laughs> but um, for me, for me, the first jump was like, I was working at Disney. We got a discount. It was something fun to do. That day was one of the best days of my life because we jumped out of planes and we went four wheeling in my um, Jeep down in like the like swampy bits around Titusville, like just through, oh my gosh, it was amazing. And then like I swam in the ocean when it was pouring down rain, like three bucket list things in one day. It was pretty awesome. Wow. I think swimming in the ocean in the pouring rain is probably less safe than skydiving if I'm being honest, really? like statistically. But yeah, probably. I think electrocution happens more often than people dying from skydiving. But 
See, I, I, um, I would never. So that one was that. fun. Yeah, that one was fun. But what brought me back and what kept me in it was it was the first activity that I had chosen for myself by myself since I was on the rowing team at the University of Kansas in college. This wasn't something that my parents suggested I do. Lord knows my parents would never tell me to go jump out of an airplane. <laughs> this wasn't something my friends were doing. This wasn't like something I was peer pressured into enjoying. It was like I made this choice and I did it for myself. And once I was in Chicago and doing agency life, like this was my one minute at a time where I was completely present. There was mm -hmm. nothing else in my way. There were no client meetings to worry about. I wasn't on deadline for assignments. I wasn't stressed out about phone calls or what to eat or what to wear or how I look. It was just like me and my body fully present. And if I forgot how to breathe, then I'd die. So like remembering how to breathe was really mm -hmm. crucial at that point in time in my career. Is that something that it's funny you bring that up because I think about when I first attempted to run and and one of one of the things I didn't know it at the time but that was help holding me back because it was causing me to cramp was not breathe and and I think that this breathing thing I'm thinking about it right now it also affects you if you if you don't know how to breathe correctly and you try to do public speaking you know you're going to have issues if you don't know how to breathe correctly and and I think it has to do potentially with maybe nervous tension or anxiety you know like you're getting ready to do something like jump out of a plane you're getting ready to public speak and like for me whenever I would speak people thought I was very comfortable on stage but the truth is I did get nervous and what what I would do is I would get up on stage and I would start talking and I would take a deep breath in and I would go and I would talk but I'd taken a deep breath in and I wasn't breathing. And so then I would always get into the middle of like a conversation and go, okay, I know I'm going to have to stop and breathe. And this is really awkward. And that would make <laughs> my speaking engagements really, you know, bad. Like right now I'm talking normally, but back then I would, I would start a conversation and I would be talking like this and I would like not be breathing in and breathing out. And then I would have to go, you know, and it was, it was awkward. <laughs> and I still think about running. Like I didn't, I didn't realize what I was doing, which was like not breathing. And so because I wasn't taking the, the breath in, my I would get the side stitches. And when I learned how to breathe and just relax, running became easier. But I didn't, I would never think that it would be something people weren't doing when they're jumping out of planes. So is there like, what do most people do? Do they hold their breath? Yeah. So a lot of tandem students will hold their breath. And then like, the, so a tandem skydive is when you're attached to the instructor and they're on your back and they fly the parachute and they do all the hard work. A lot of tandem students won't remember to breathe. So they'll kind of tap you and they'll be like, just scream. Like if you feel like you can't breathe, just scream. And then you like get back in the motion of breathing. Um, but for me, what I think is really interesting about what you just said um, is like how not breathing was holding you back on the running and stuff. I think it, one of the things that we observed just in the work that we've been doing with hiking my feelings and that I didn't have language for back when I was skydiving, but would apply today if I were to go jump out of planes and certainly make sense for why I liked it so much was I believe that as survivors of trauma and any kind of like hard traumatic experience, we're collectively just kind of holding our breath, right? Like we go around life holding our breath, waiting for the other shoe to drop. Because like for me, when I was sexually assaulted in college and didn't get help, like I walked around looking everywhere to make sure that I wasn't going to get sneaked up on. You know, like, so I think that there's, there's the literal breath that we need to take, but it's also doing these kinds of activities, whether that's skydiving or hiking or running or something physical where you have to exhaust yourself to the point where you have to breathe. I think it can remind us to proverbially breathe through 
the things that we go through as well. Because for me, skydiving was one of the first things that like snapped me out of my inner critic dialogue, all the nasty thoughts that were going through my head, flashbacks like PTSD style, and keep me in that present moment. So I think that that's a really important connection to make between physical health and mental health and that mind-body connection. Oh my gosh, everything you just said is so like mic drop and I can relate to so many things because um, for sure, I, I know that I've said this several times when I have explained certain things to my man um, where I'm like, you know, I, I think you need to understand, like I've gone through so much um, trauma, if you will, turmoil, upset, chaos in my business and personal life in the past three years. I mean, a lot of people have seen me share it, you know, I would put up a post and I would say, you know, God, 2000. So it was 2017, I thought was the worst year of my life. And then I thought, you know, that was behind me. And I thought 2018 was going to be this game changing, you know, wonderful year of recovery and, and resolution. And it wasn't, it got worse. And then I got into 2019 and 2019 started off really strong. I started this new company, got to, you know, this profitable six figure point in three weeks. I had clients, I had a waiting list, everything was awesome. And then it, on a side note, it turned out to be this year of chronic pain for me all from like July, no, probably June to January of this year, 2020, I dealt with chronic headaches and migraines. So it's really been a very tumultuous two or three years for me, a lot of loss, a lot of betrayals, a lot of, you know, I mean, I had to fire almost 90% of my company, people that worked for me. Um, I had found, you know, people who'd committed fraud with my, my company, my business, my funds, all kinds of stuff. And I can relate 1000% to what you just said about we're going through life waiting for the proverbial other shoe to drop. And you kind of feel like you are not realistically, but you're always holding your breath. Like what's going to happen next? Or you get a phone call or an email from somebody says, we need to talk and you're automatically jumping to the worst conclusions. And that's so common. Is that something that, you know, and, and you mentioned we're holding on to trauma. I think too many people just aren't dealing with their shit. And, and it's, it, it, you, if you, the more you hold it in, I've said to people in the past, like, it's like trying to keep a beach ball under the water. It's just going to keep popping up. 100%. Yeah. I mean, we're all walking around holding on to it. And our bodies store trauma too. That was what I came to realize through my progression through managing type 2 diabetes and being diagnosed out of nowhere. Um, and then learning how to connect the dots via hiking. Like hiking is what gave me the container to work through this trauma that I had just never dealt with. Um, so yeah, I 100% believe that we're all just walking around holding on to it. And our work specifically explores how trauma manifests in our minds and bodies and how the outdoors can help us heal. So how did that, and I love how you talked about the mind body connection, because certainly I've got some, I've got some good guests coming up too, because I want to, I really want to explore this. I'm really understanding. I've, I've certainly seen it my whole life that when, when things happen and you get really, 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 really upset about them, you can make anything that is, um, you know, an autoimmune disease, any kind of, even if it's just, you know, you're breaking out in hives, whatever, you, you'll make it so much worse by how you react to the bad stuff. So learning to, and, and I, I think that there's just, I firmly believe that there are probably 70% of people out there who just never deal with their shit. And, and they, they are completely so far from being self-aware 
or working on themselves or working on addressing their issues. They'd rather, you know, a lot of people in my family do this, sweep things under the rug. Let's just not talk about it. Let's just move on. Let's just, you know, um, forget about it. And you can't, you can't do it. Like it, there's such a gift in learning to deal with what's happened to you. If it's trauma, if it's been a bad relationship, learning what makes you tick, what makes you act the way that you do um, and being able to unravel it and get past it. But it, sometimes it surprises me how many people don't do that. And I'm curious before we start diving into the the hiking and how you got into that and how you started using that to deal with with trauma and and understanding how trauma was manifesting itself physically with you. I want to get into all of that good stuff, but I'm just curious, do you you know see a lot of people who either discover your book or you know come to talk to you about the whole hiking issue? and trauma, do you see a lot of people who it's like been the last thing they've ever even thought about addressing is working on themselves, dealing with what's happened to them, dealing with the divorce, dealing with the sexual trauma. So many women have that and they're pushing it under the rug. I was, I was date raped in college. That's how I lost my virginity. And I, I never sought help for that. I never talked to anybody about it. I think that there's a lot of women out there who have past sexual trauma and they don't think it's any big deal. Yeah. And first of all, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. And I see you and I believe you. And that is the most violent thing that can happen to the human body short of being murdered, especially while we're alive. So just know that there are lots of women that are out there. Like you said, I mean, every 73 seconds in this country, somebody is sexually assaulted. One in three women. Wow. One in, yeah. And one in three women will experience sexual violence before the end of their lifetime and one in six men will as well. And to your point about date rape and stuff like that, eight out of 10 people that are sexually assaulted are assaulted by people that they know. So for me, why I didn't tell anybody and the reason I carried my secret for as long as I did was because it happened with a guy from work. I had been drinking the night before I woke up, it was happening. And I figured if it wasn't a stranger with a gun to my head in an alley somewhere, then it wasn't rape. So I didn't tell anybody because I thought it wasn't that bad. Like I knew the guy, and surely I didn't want it. It was definitely assault. I woke up and he was on top of it inside me. So like, I didn't ask for that. I certainly did not consent. But I thought that it wasn't rape because it wasn't this picture of violence that we see in the movies and in TV and everything else. And I grew up with high profile cases around sexual assault in the media and everything else. And like, I wasn't assaulted by a celebrity or something like it was a guy from work, but I saw what happened to survivors who chose to speak up and I didn't feel like I wanted to re-traumatize myself so I didn't first of all I didn't believe that it ha- that what happened was assault and then I didn't if I thought it was when I did know because I knew I knew it was I knew I didn't want what happened um, and my behavior for the decade that followed certainly reflected that um, but I, I I just didn't know and I didn't want to I didn't I figure the girls like me don't get raped. Like I'm educated. I'm smart. I, I, I protect myself. Like I, I take the measures necessary. Like I don't dress slutty. I, you know, like I've, I've heard all the excuses mm-hmm. for why women get assaulted. I go, I, I was actively combating those things. Um, so yeah, I mean, we run into people all the time and that's one of the things, I don't know what comes first. I don't know if there's a connection to nature that makes you start to see the patterns of nature within yourself, or if it's, you go, you find there's something that you want to work through and you're drawn to nature. Like, I don't know what comes first, but in the community that we've created in the space that we're um, curating, it's 
there's no judgment here. Um, I lead with the story of my assault. I lead with how it manifested in my mind and body as type 2 diabetes. So by just sharing about what I've been through, um, I feel like it's giving people permission to explore the things for themselves and also giving them language to better understand what happened to them. Because if the statistics are true, and those statistics that I mentioned earlier are from RAIN, which is the nation's largest anti-sexual violence organization, they run a wonderful sexual assault hotline for anybody who's been through something that needs somebody to talk to. They're a tremendous resource. Um, but if, if those statistics are true, then we all have a lot more in common than we do different. If, if one in three women in this country is a survivor of sexual assault or will be by the time they die, what, like, why are we, why are we competing? Why are we catty? Why are we getting all caught up in material stuff that does not matter when at its core, one in three of our sisters has, has survived the most violent thing that can happen to the human body. Like, I don't understand the, the, the female competition thing. I don't understand trying to one up each other. I don't understand the things that are playing out in culture that I don't participate in. Like that stuff is very like, it's toxic and it just compounds the issues because we don't feel safe to talk about it and we keep it to ourselves and then we lash out at each other regardless of gender like it's not just a female on female thing like we all project our trauma onto everybody else until we start to deal with it but I mean I just think about how much work I've done and the things that I've discovered about myself and then compound that by however many other people have been through this like no wonder we're seeing the kinds of things we're seeing in the world suicide rates through the roof mental health issues through the roof like it's, 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 it's so obvious as to why it's happening, but like, what else can we do but talk about it? That's why I do it. Because like, ultimately, if other survivors hadn't shared their stories, I wouldn't have had the language to identify what happened to me. So when people ask me, like, how do you find the courage to talk about what happened to you so openly? I was like, I can't not do it. Because if I didn't, if somebody, if the people who stood up and told their stories didn't do it, I might not be on this planet today. And I take that as a responsibility to be honest with you like if if me sharing my story keeps one more person from taking their own life because they can't live with the trauma that they survived then my job here is 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 well worth my time and well worth the commitment and well worth the sacrifice you know it's so true because i and i haven't talked about it on this show in the context of sexual trauma but certainly I've talked about it and we've started to cover a lot of um, eating disorders or disordered eating or um, emotional eating, binging. And these are things that the more I started talking about it and asking women like, hey, and I would just share, it's, it's ironic that the more that I share, and I think this is just going to what you said, I just share myself as an example. Like I will bring up every embarrassing, silly, crazy this is what I do and I don't know why I do it, but I've, I do it and I, and I figured it out and, and now I'm addressing it. And then I'll get, you know, private messages from 20 people within two minutes. Oh my God, I'm so glad you brought that up. I thought I was the only one. And so I thought it was even better for us to address. I've got a, like a mental health series going on, like the, the, the mental side of fitness with this gal, Jenny Meyer, and it's been very successful, but it makes me think about just as you're saying these statistics and, and just how the way I just shared that with you, you know, it, it makes me think about the way that I reacted to what happened to me. I mean, I still remember this guy. I, he had some kind of like weird nickname. His name was like Trig or something like that. He was a bartender I had a crush <laughs> on. 
Sorry, I I don't mean to laugh, but that just sounds like so stereotypical of the situation that you described. I'm like, of course his name was Trig or something like that. God bless you, Kelly. I mean, it was like (laughs) such a fraternity guy thing. And But here's what's even more creepy is so I remember like he had a crush on my friend and I was 19 and he had a crush on my friend, but I wanted him. And so I, you know, she was like out of town or something. And I thought I might have, you know, my chance and I don't even know what I was thinking, but I was, I was a virgin. So I certainly wasn't thinking I was going to have sex with him. And he walked me out. He was going to give me a ride and somehow or another, you know, certainly I was drinking, he was drinking and we got into this car and his friend was going to drive us wherever we were going to go. But instead of driving us somewhere, so the car was like like backed up into a corner. So you could only get in on one side. And when we got in the back seat, his friend was this like big bouncer guy, like literally like leaned up against the door. So I couldn't get out. So I, I think that they like planned it. And, you know, I remember, Oh my gosh, Kelly. Absolutely. I am so sorry. That is awful. Yeah. And he was, so I'm, and I remember, I I remember, um, you know, we were making out and then all of a sudden it was like, he had his pants off and you know, it was happening. And I remember distinctly pushing him and going, I'm not on the pill. Like I knew enough to say, to know, like I can get pregnant. And like, I wasn't thinking about anything other than, you know, I remember thinking like, what if I get pregnant? My mom is going to be mad, blah, blah, blah. I can't do this. And I kept going, I'm, I'm not on the pill. I'm not on the pill. And he wouldn't stop. And the other guy was, you know, just leaning against the door to make sure no, no one could get out. And then I, we were done. And, and afterwards, like he got out of the car and threw up. So then I felt even more gross. And I remember I went oh. home to my friend and I'm like, I think, I think I just got raped by Trig. And they were like, you know, oh, and I'm like, I just, I'm so worried I'm pregnant. Like, I'm so, that's all I cared about. And, and what's so ironic, the reason I'm bringing this up is over the next coming years, like I would see him and I was, I acted like his buddy. I'm like, oh, I have to be cool girl, Kelly. Like I can't be the angry girl who who cries rape. And I thought about all the things you said, which is if I bring this up, everyone's going to say, weren't you in a bar? Weren't you just, you know, sluttily? Weren't you doing this? Why did you even get in the car with him? Blah, blah, blah. And I never, ever brought it up. And I remember, you know, seeing him at bars later and I would chum up with him and be like, Hey, how are you? And all I cared about was, does he still approve of me? Like, I don't want him to be mad at me. It was the whole people. Mm -hmm. So, so scary. Yeah. And it's wild. Hey, everybody, this is the end of part one of this three-part interview with Sydney Williams. Make sure you listen to part two and part three.